Well, it is Christmas, and uh, I don't know about you, but Christmas holds a ton of memories for me. Not all of them great. You know, you got to have a bad one if you're going to measure the good ones by something, right? But if you ever want to have story time with Uncle Jimmy, let me share you a few of our Christmases. It includes tube socks and bricks. It includes tears and a whole Christmas tree full of packages with no one's name on it. One year, my father thought it would be fun that of the eight kids and my mother, that they would not put any names on any of the packages. Oh, he had a logbook in which he could write down the codes of each package. And so you can imagine, as everyone saw the big package, and they go, that must be mine. But you go, how do you know? It is a proven historical fact that at least two of my sisters wept. He only did it one year. <laughs> so Christmas memories abound. And, and uh, one of my favorites I wanted to share this morning, I, I, I just didn't feel uh, like, like Christmas Eve would be the right time. And so since it's just family, I felt like I could take just a moment and Christmas memories. So let me share a few with you, if I may. I always like these memories. Look at, look at Santa. He's got both hands wrapped around that little kid's waist like, you're not going anywhere. This is funny. You need to laugh. And look at this one. That baby's losing her ever-loving mind. And Santa's going, you're seeing this? You're paying for this. Yes. Now, this guy... He seems cool with Santa, but Santa doesn't look so cool. I don't know what was up with that. He kind of let his eyebrows go, wouldn't you agree? And then the little girl's kind of cool with it, but obviously the rest of you are not. Can I just say, if you walked up, if I walked up with my granddaughter and saw this Santa, we're going to keep walking. <laughs> and then this one, oh, she's so brave. Look at her. She doesn't want to cry in the picture. She's trying to be so courageous. And this little girl's just not sure. I got to say, that Santa may have been places Santa ought not to have been the night before. He tired. And then this one, just so you know that the craziness has been around a while. Look at this girl. Her fight or flight has simply gone into freeze. Her eyes are saying, is he still standing behind me? And then, I don't know. If you could only see the face of this one, I don't know if he's real. His hands look real, but his face doesn't. I don't know. And then I like the little girl. Ta-da. <laughs> Melinda, I have to think of you. You know, it's like the Christmas party at Melinda's. She goes, look. I know he's freaky, but, you know, here he is. And then I just wanted to give you one to think about for Christmas. Nothing says Merry Christmas like I just might kill you eyes. That's right. Here at Authentic Life, we have the courage to show these kind of pictures in church. 
All right, all right. Now let's, let's get down to the getting downs. Last week we talked about the first Noel. And we had the opportunity to talk about the prophecy. Remember we talked about Isaiah who had prophesied 700 years before the birth of Jesus. Not only the process, but the location of the Messiah. And we should be really impressed with that. Today, a lot of people claim to be prophets, but they never seem to have to pay the penalty for being wrong. Now, for those of you who may not know, in the biblical context, you could claim to be a prophet and you could even prophesy. But if you were wrong, it cost you your life. So people weren't just throwing it out there on Twitter like they do today. But the prophecy spoke of a Messiah that was coming and we talked about the fact that it was equally true even if the people who heard the prophecy originally did not see it come to pass. God's truthfulness is not dependent on whether it takes place in our physical lifetime. And the greatest, the greatest comparison I can give for us is this. The return of Jesus Christ is imminent. People ask me, are we in the last days? Yes, we are. Well, how do you know that? Because as soon as Jesus went up, he was coming back. Now, I know there are people, naysayers, well, people have been saying it for hundreds of years. Yep, and one of us is going to be right. <laughs> the return of Jesus Christ is as imminent as your next breath, and you should be prepared. Why? Because we will all see Jesus in our own generation. Whether we step to him through the doorway of death or whether he comes for us through that glorious thing called the rapture, you will see Jesus in your lifetime. The question is, are you ready? We saw the prophecy. We saw the purpose. And what was that? It was the fact that God himself came down from heaven not just to the mountaintop where he typically met with humanity, but he came all the way down and incarnated himself so that he could live among us and that we could love and respect him because he knew what it was like to be a human being. The Bible says he was tempted in all ways. Well, Jesus didn't have Twitter. He didn't need it. He was tempted in all ways yet knew no sin. I've got to tell you this. It makes my Savior more sweet to me to know that he knows what I'm going through. And then we saw the place. We had the privilege of going and walking through the manger, a humble place, a simple place, a, an out-of-the-way place for a king to be born but the perfect place for a 700-year-old prophecy to be fulfilled. And then lastly, the people, we looked at Mary and Joseph, this sweet, innocent couple that God chose to be the delivery system of the Messiah. This week we've entitled our message, Come Let Us Adore Him, and we will be partaking in communion here shortly. So let's look. Let us adore him. Let's look at the parents. Let's, let's revisit Mary and Joseph, shall we? So Luke chapter 2 tells us this. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world, and everyone went to their own town to register. 
So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea. To Judea. <clears throat> Hold on. Ooh. I think I threw a belt. Mm. To Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Now, can I, I'm going to give you something extra, Ronnie, free, a little bit. Have you ever wondered if he's from the town of David? His lineage is from the town of David? His family is from the town of David? There wasn't any family? To open a door for a visiting family member? Now, this is just me thinking. I've often wondered, I mean, are, were they not welcome because of their unique circumstances? I don't know. Just, just wondering out loud. But God was incarnated, and it's amazing how God works inside the plans of man because I can promise not ever spending a day as a lady, but much less a day fully formed and pregnant as a lady. You're not wanting to ride a mule up the mountain to Jerusalem. I, I'm pretty secure in that guess. But what is an equal motivator to both of them? Oh, well, the Roman leader said we have to do it. And guess what? If we don't do it, and so they did what they were commanded to do. But guess what? God had a plan. While they were there, the seven-year-old prophecy was what? Fulfilled. Would they as human beings gone, listen, let's see, what did Isaiah, would they have booked early? Maybe we could go and we could get a suite at the Hilton and, you know, we could do this nice. We don't know, but they're human beings. And they were, had a special invitation to come to Bethlehem. And it just so happens that while they were there, the birth of the child finally and fully fulfills the prophecy of 700 years ago. It's good stuff. Now, let's look at the parents first. It's all theory until the little one actually arrives. Amen? Man, it's all fun and games. Oh, we're going to have a baby. Let's spend, let's spend a lot of time and money figuring out how we're going to announce to the world. I tell you, there used to be a day where we go, we're having a baby. What kind? Well, I don't know. We'll just see. But today, man, there's streamers and balloons and accidents and forest fires and just all kinds of craziness. But, you know, it, it's one thing. You know, I remember when my bride was expecting our first and, and you know, and I, I had issues. And that's a whole different story. And, man, it's, you know, you're like, yeah, whoa, yeah. And then when that little one arrives, you're like, whoa, whoa. It was so good for us. Our par my parents moved out of town the day we brought her home from the hospital. Literally, that is not a figurative speech. Literally, in the car, heading north. But now these two young adults 
who are going through this very unusual circumstance, now it's not theory. Now there's a mouth that needs to be fed. There's a bottom that needs to be cleaned. There's answers that still people want to know. Man, life just got real and real. While they rejoiced, I'll tell you what, you hold that little one, man, you feel, I don't know, you feel small. But you also feel responsible. And here are these two wonderful young adults with this child, and they're rejoicing in this, this miracle. But there's also time to ponder the problems. How are we going to feed this thing? Will it ever sleep? Will we ever sleep? I mean, you remember a thousand and one questions. They don't really teach you how to parent. I mean, it, it's a thing, man. But, and so we, we, we as Christians get so comfortable with this story, we forget the humanity of it. Here they are in this stone stable and this newborn and all that that entails. Can you imagine the questions? Well, where do we go from here? It's, it's a humbling thing. The Lord had proven trustworthy in the fulfillment of a 700-year prophecy, the conception and delivery of a son. And they had to, like Jeff talked about in Sunday school, have faith to believe that he was going to continue to be faithful. Amen? Has the Lord been faithful to you in the past? Amen. He'll be faithful to you in the future. Now, sometimes our hearts don't feel like it. And sometimes public opinion around us doesn't feel like it. But that same God that was faithful to them before the birth of Jesus will be faithful to them for the balance of this journey. And he will be faithful to us. That's part of what makes Christmas so beautiful is the promise of hope in that stable is still our promise of hope today. It is a timeless promise. So let's look at the shepherds as they come to adore him. The second chapter of Luke tells us this. The angels came to the shepherds to tell them the good news of Christ's birth. And they hurried to find him and worship him. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what they had been told about the child. I'm going to give you two things extra. First of all, I gave you the one minute ago. I'm struggling to remember what it was. It was really insightful and pithy, I'm telling you. The second is this. You realize this was the first Noel for the angels. You see, God the Father is spirit. God, God doesn't, but now God is like right there. 
in that little human body. The angels were very familiar with humanity and had been act, enacting with humanity since God chose to create us. But now, for the first time and the only time, God, the Father, is incarnated in that little bitty human body. That little thing right there contains 100% humanity and 100% deity. Never done before, never done since. Now, what must that have been like for the angels? I, I have to tell you, I can't help to think that they may have been in a little bit of a wonderment as we are. I, now, theirs may be a little different. Now, I'm just going to, I'm going to speculate. As an angel, I might be thinking like, God, what are you doing? For them, you did this? Why? I, that's just my speculation. It's free. doesn't cost you extra. If you had good news, who's the first to tell? Well, it depends. If you're on social media, you might. Have you, have you ever mistakenly given the wrong information to social media before you were supposed to give it? If you have young kids today and they have anything and you post it early, mm, you know, bueno. I remember when my granddaughter was born, I looked at my daughter and I said, hun, there's a little part of the world that's waiting. So when are you going to green light this? Think about this. When you have good news, when you have something you just have to share, who's the first you call? It could be your mom. It could be your dad. It could be your, your spouse. It, you know, I don't know. But think about this. The greatest news, second only to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, was shared with shepherds. When God had the best news of all, who did he tell? Important religious people? No. No. Billy Graham wouldn't have gotten a call. Mother Teresa wouldn't have gotten that call. The Pope wouldn't have gotten that call. Jimmy Vaughn wouldn't have gotten that call. No. Didn't tell religious leaders. Well, he surely told the wealthy folk. Because you know why? Church is going to want their money. No. God didn't tell the wealthy folk. <laughs> the, the learned, did, it, did they go you know, to the Ivory League schools? And in, in, no. No. God went to shepherds. The, the lowly. I mean, when, when you consider who shepherds were in the culture of the time, these were lowly people. These were unclean, both physically and considered spiritually unclean. The shepherds were in a field among the smelly, not-so-bright sheep. They had no power, no influence. They had no juice when it comes to society. They had nothing to bring to the baby. They had no gifts. So why would God choose these lowest of people? Well, I thought about that. And one, Ronnie, you're right, I didn't put this in there, so bonus, is one, they were available. Availability is the key. Here are three reasons I thought of. First, the shepherds had the capacity to be humble 
and amazed that God chose to tell them. I remember a young couple who had struggled for years to conceive a child. And they called my bride and I and they invite us out and we get together and we were the first that they chose to tell. They hadn't told parents or grandparents. We were the first. Can I say what an honor that was? How humbled we were that we would be the first to hear such incredible news for them and their families. The shepherds had the capacity to understand how to be humble and grateful that God would entrust them with this news. Part of the challenge we face today, brothers and sisters, is this, is humility, but also familiarity. Listen, you are entrusted with the gospel of Jesus Christ. He doesn't send to CNN. He doesn't send to Fox News. He doesn't send it to the Herald Banner. He sends it to you and to me. And he says, go and tell them. You are the delivery system. You are the daily news. You are the daily tweets. You are it. We are it. And sometimes we get so familiar with it. We're like, well, okay. No. You bring the hope of the world. Secondly, after they had seen the baby, excuse me, after they had seen the Savior, they spread the word concerning what they knew. They didn't overthink the situation and talk themselves out of telling the news. Well, guys, listen, you know, (laughs) if we go and tell that there are angels, you know, And then we went and there was a baby. And mom and dad said, hey, it's the king of the Jews. They're going to think we're crazy. Who's going to believe us? They didn't overthink the situation. Well, what if they reject us? What if they make fun of us? Oh, you crazy shepherds. They didn't overthink it. Brothers and sisters, we overthink the process. Love the Lord with everything you've got and love humanity like you love yourself and tell them about Jesus in action and in words when necessary. How do we overthink that? But we do. (laughs) They were exuberant and overflowing with joy and probably still reflected a little bit of that glory. Can you... You know, I think of Moses when he came off the mountain and had to cover up his face because the glory shone about him. Can you imagine... Think about this. What would you, if I just had one angel show up, I might be like inconsolable. But imagine what that must have been like. And then to see Jesus. I get a little verklept. Or was it God displaying his love for humanity and meeting them where they were with his good news? I really like that one. You know, we invite people to come to church, and that's a good thing. But the beautiful thing is, is you can meet God wherever you are. If you're unsaved, all you have to do is turn around and believe. Because Christ has been walking with you all the days of your life. 
He's been seeking you, even as you were being knitted together in your mother's womb. And I said some weeks back, and I still say it, I'm utterly ashamed of where I drug my Savior before I met him. Jesus is waiting on us. And he displayed his love for humanity and that the good news went to the last in line. The good news went to those that were lonely out in a field in the cold, tending the sheep, taking the risks, doing the blue-collar life. Actually, that would probably be dirty blue-collar. But God met them right where they were. And can I say this? God still meets humanity right where they are. Now, he loves us too much to leave us where he founds us. But he meets us where we are. Then let's look at the wise men. Numbers chapter 24 says this, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob, and a scepter will rise out of Israel. This is the prophet Balaam. Now, if 700 years didn't do a thing for you, if you're like, how about this? 1,400 years. The prophet Balaam, not the greatest prophet of Israel, but he wasn't a false prophet, makes this statement. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob. And a scepter, a symbol of what? Kingship, authority will rise out of Israel. Not just king in this world, but what? The Bible says, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. 1,400 years before, Matthew gives us this. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of the king Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? Where is the scepter that has risen in Israel? We've come to worship him. We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. A star and a scepter will come out of Israel. The psalmist says this, May the kings of Tarshish and of distant shores bring tribute to him. May the kings of Sheba and Seba present him gifts. May all the kings bow down to him and all the nations serve him. Why? Because he is the king of kings. Matthew goes on, he says, On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They saw something extraordinary in the sky. Now, modern day, I just lost the word. What are the people called that studied stars? Astrologers, yes. Have proven that there was a historically documented event that provided what we call the star. In the time of Jesus' birth, this event would have been seen around the world. 
And it was extraordinary and different. And anyone who took the time to look would have been amazed. And these wise men had the access to the best information and the best minds in the world at the time. They had those who studied the stars. They had those who studied medicine. They had those who studied history. They had those who studied religious documents. They had the greatest minds available. And in my humble opinion, someone, I have no doubt, may have referenced Isaiah's prophecy and says, well, this is what Isaiah said. And then they saw Balaam and they go, They saw something extraordinary. And they knew it meant something. And they started asking the questions. They heard of something extraordinary. They heard something from prophets. A star and a scepter. A king and a savior. They sought something extraordinary. Now, you have to understand that this journey wasn't like loading up and driving to Mesquite so you could have ponchos. Can I just say this? If you're going to have ponchos, don't send me a picture and, and, and ask, guess where I am? <laughs> well, do as I say, not as I do. For these individuals to act upon the star, to act upon the prophecy, and to seek a king, this was a commitment. This was weeks, months, and probably years of travel and danger and uncertainty. This was a commitment. But they sought the king, and they paid the price to do it. They did something extraordinary. They, they traveled. And many of them would have to have taken a, an, a, an around route. They, they had taken the Fertile Crescent up and north and then come back south because to pass through the desert was maybe a fool's errand. You know, I'm amazed at the distances I've seen people travel to be close to the things of the Lord had the privilege of sitting in churches where people spend hours to get there and their and their attitude is this stay as long as you want teach as long as you want we we took the time to get here they traveled a significant difference distance at a significant cost and a significant risk because they needed to be close to the king they gave some extraordinary gifts. Gold. Gold is associated with royalty. They brought gold to the newborn king to honor him in his royalty. They brought frankincense. Now, <laughs> I have frankincense, and I gave serious consideration to burning frankincense this morning. Um, but out of respiratory uncertainties, I chose not to do it. 
So if you ever want to smell frankincense, I will hook you up. And it's very sooty. My office has been sprinkled liberally with the soot of frankincense. But it is, Josh, you smelt it. It's, it's one of a kind. It's, you know. But it's a part of worship. If you go to Israel and you go to these wonderful sites, frankincense is, is burned on a regular basis. And you'll look and you'll go, man, why is everything so sooty? And, and well, it's these things. That, it's a part of worship. It's a, it, and, and it makes this beautiful cloud that goes up. And the cloud, you think of the presence of God in the Old Testament. You think of the prayers of his people going up. It's a beautiful thing. And they brought myrrh. Now, myrrh had its value, but it, it also had its foreshadowing. Because in the time of Christ, at the burial preparation, they would put myrrh in with the body as to, to try and mask what nature uh, would smell like. They delivered these incredible gifts to the Lord, which brings us to us. Let us adore him. From the birth of his son in that manger all those years ago, God has invited mankind to seek him, to see him, and to adore him. That same invitation, first given by the angels of glory, still resonates today true. It is God's deepest desire that mankind would seek the Savior, see the Savior, and adore the Savior. And that's what we're doing today. Today, we adore him for his birth. It's a great story. If nothing more than the birth of Jesus, if nothing more, it's a great story. It wouldn't be the same story. Because his birth wasn't just a birth. It was the birth that offers all of humanity a gift that only he can offer. Have you ever had someone say, and I've said it to my bride, I'd give you the world if it was mine to give. Well, that sounds really good, right? But I can't. Or, you know, if you've ever watched It's a Wonderful Life, and he says, I'd lasso that moon and what? Pull it down and give it to you. It sounds good, but you know, I, you can't give the moon. But the beautiful thing about the birth of Jesus and the gift that he offers, he and he alone has the authority to give it to you. No one can give you what Jesus offers you. No government, no religion. No amount of wealth, no amount of humility. There's nothing or no one in all of human existence that can offer to you what the birth of Jesus offers to us. His birth offers to us a gift of hope for a reunion with God. The Bible says that 
without Christ, without this gift, we're enemies of God. We're not pals. God's not my buddy. We're not all right. The Bible says apart from this gift, we are enemies, both passive and intentional. But because of this gift, (coughs) we can hope for a reunion, both spiritually and one day physically. We have had loved ones step into glory this year. They enjoyed the spiritual reunion, and now, praise God, they're enjoying the physical reunion in that place called heaven. The question I would like to ask you this Christmas season is, have you received God's gift, the gift that only Jesus can offer you? Have you received him to be your savior? Have you received his forgiveness of your sins? If you haven't, today would be the best day to do that. The Bible says, for today is the day of salvation. You can celebrate Christmas with the greatest gift ever given. Let's just bow our heads and close our eyes just for a moment. As we draw close to our adoration of the Lord through the celebration of his communion, let's just stop for a moment. And adore him in our minds and in our hearts. Dear saint of God, may I ask you this simple question. Are you striving with the Lord? Are you seeking to walk as closely to him as you can? Is there any known sin in your life that you need to give back to him? in preparing for this time of celebration. I'm going to leave you there just a moment to talk to the Lord about that. And I'd like to talk to you if you're here today or if you're with us online and there's never been a time, there's never been a place where you received Jesus to be your Savior. My friend, today, would you please consider receiving that gift? Jesus' birth, as beautiful as it is, was only half the story. Jesus was born to give his life a sinless atonement for your sin. You see, the birth is a beautiful thing, but if it's not for the cross, it's just another birth. And then today as we sang, I thought to myself, what it must have sounded like in that borrowed tomb all those years ago as the lifeless body of Jesus laid there battered, bruised, and shredded by the the whip of man. And then that silence, that deafening silence is broken with (sighs) as life returned to the body of Jesus Christ. That Silence being broken was music to the ears of the saints and sorrow to the ears of the devil and his dominions because for a brief while, their minds and their wicked hearts had thought, we've won. We have finally killed God. Oh, but in that borrowed tomb, 
in the silence, there was a, as life comes back to Jesus, never to die again. My friends, it is the birth that we celebrate, but it's the resurrection that makes the birth all that more valuable. And my friend, I would ask you today, have you received that gift? Do you know Jesus as your Savior? Do you have a hope for today and a hope for tomorrow? Is his promises your promises? If not, why not today? Friend, I'm not asking you to join this church. Friend, I'm not asking you for one red cent. I'm just asking would you receive Jesus today? Would you put your faith in him today? Believing that he and he alone can forgive you of your sins. That he and he alone can help you fulfill the purpose of your one and only life. And that he and he alone can give you one day heaven. If that's you, my friend... I would invite you to pray with me. It's not the prayer, but it's the faith. I would pray something like this, and you can whisper this from your heart to the heart of God. I would pray something like this. Dear God, I know that I am a sinner, and there is nothing I can do to save myself. I confess my complete helplessness to forgive my own sin or to work my way to heaven. At this moment, I trust Jesus alone as the one who bore my sin and who died on the cross. I ask for the forgiveness only you can offer, and I ask your son, Christ Jesus, to be my Savior. Help me to know and to love him more day by day, and give me a home in heaven when my life on earth is through. Amen. My friend, if that is your prayer, welcome to the family. My friend, if that is your prayer, welcome to the promises of God. Merry Christmas to you in the most eternal of ways. Now, saints, Come let us adore him as we observe the ordinance of communion.